On this episode of AV Week, we talk about mentorship in the AV industry. The EU is trying to crack down on the level and amount of power that audiovisual devices take and taking a look at the power of certification. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week. Episode 603, recorded Friday, March 10th, 2023. Certified AV. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, you know her as AV Dawn. We can't tell you where she works because she'd have to kill me. <laughs> Dawn Mead, how are you, ma'am? Very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show again. Absolutely. And somebody that I just discovered I have never had on, although, although I've known her for many years, is Amelia Varble. Uh, Amelia is with AVISPL, so welcome, ma'am, for the first time. Thank you. It's good to be on, and I appreciate you thinking of me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Amelia has, has, I've known Amelia from way back when, when she used to wear a blue shirt, uh, a blue a blue polo, so... <laughs> So yeah, absolutely. Um, this is uh, we are in the in in the at the end, I guess, of the week. But it's 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 International Women's Month. So uh, this week we celebrated International Women's Day. Uh, for that, uh, the exactly Dawn's showing the embrace equality, um, embrace equity. Um, so uh, thank you both so much uh, for joining us. First story comes to us from our friends over at AV Magazine. The new EU energy regulation that are set to come into effect on September. Uh, in September of 2023, this is going to limit the use of 8K and micro LED displays in electronic devices. The new rules are part of the EU's ongoing efforts to reduce energy consumption in electronic devices and are expected to impact the digital signage industry. As these high-resolution displays consume more energy than their counterparts, the new regulations may lead to a shift toward more energy-efficient technologies in the industry. However, the article does suggest that the industry should start exploring alternative technologies, such as <clears throat> OLED, which <laughs> is a nice, you know, thing, um, and, and many LED. Uh, Don, I am 100% going to start with you because Don and I have a long love affair with, with OLED. Uh, we've been waiting for it since roughly 1993. Um, so first question, seriously, Don, on, on this, how is this going to affect, how are these these regulations going to affect campuses, universities, and, and quite frankly, you know, Dom works for a corporation in corporate signage and also in, in corporate uh, displays. How is this going to impact the, the, the corporations and the, the folks that are using these this technology across the EU? Well, I think, first of all, the biggest thing to think about is, you know, the the rise of the micro LED and the 8K and things like that, that allows us to go bigger and bigger. And these days, you know, folks are moving away from very small displays. They want big visual. They're used to seeing big visual on live events, you know, on the Super Bowl. I mean, it, it, it's become such an ingrained part of the business world that you need that big screen, in, you know, property in front of you. And to achieve that, you either need some big old projectors and screens, which I can speak from experience. Some people in the corporate world are like, uh, projectors, isn't that like really old technology? Even though they still have very good and very wonderful projectors, that's their perception versus, you know, flat panel, ooh, sexy, you know, video wall, ooh, sexy. 
So I think by restricting it, and and to be clear, the 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 article and the law says in the residential space, but in the residential space not only rolls over into the corporate space, but it also, the corporate space sort of builds on the resi space these days. So yeah. by restricting that usage in the resi space, it is going to roll over into the corporate space. And, and I admit, I'm confused by part of this story. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge OLED fan, and OLEDs, by nature of being organic, are less energy consuming. But micro LED, isn't that just another form of direct view LED with just different pixel size and different pixel arrangement. Direct view LED, you can dial up or dial down how bright you have it. You know, I, I know from my brief stint with a company called Gable that did direct view LED, you never go in and put your direct view LED wall on full screen unless you're outside yeah. of bright daylight because you'd blow someone's retinas out. So if this thing, you know, you can set you, set a rule that you can install these but only at a max of 25% or 30% nit brightness or something like that. You know, don't don't uh, sort of ban them all together because they have the capability of going brighter. Uh, you know, I think that's where this law or this regulation sort of fails is that it doesn't take into account the adjustability. And, you know, it, I mean, it's right there. If you're starting to restrict it in the resi space, the commercial guys are going to be afraid to put them in because they're not going to be familiar with them. They're not going to be as available on the market. You know, I, I think it's it's kind of a mistake. Sustainability is great. Our friends over at Sustainable AV, you know, go team. But at the same time, let's look at the technology that's available and the needs within the university or the corporate setting and find a way that they can go as coexist peacefully while still helping the planet. Yeah, Amelia, this, this, this feels very much like, almost like the EU took a page off of the, the German government because the German government about six, nine months ago put a rule like this into place, got significant pushback from, uh, honestly, the, the digital signage community and, and the advertising community and said, wait, you can't do this. You can't turn off our advertising platforms from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And, and they did get some some adjustment there. But, you know, as, as Don mentioned, the sustainability AV folks, Several companies and manufacturers in the space are trying to be sustainable, are trying to do things. What can we do to, to maybe, I'm not suggesting, you know, adjusting this law, but the, the world has become smaller. And there are times when one regulation from one country or one segment of the world seems like a good idea in another. So I expect some form of this in other parts of the world, whether that be you know, uh, MEA, uh, MEA um, Asia PAC, or, you know, in, in North or South America. So how do we communicate this to, I guess, the powers that be that, hey, we are trying to be environmentally friendly. We are trying to, to be, you know, sustainable and responsible. We have the tools. How do we, how do we make sure that, that we are leveraging and, and utilizing those tools and then communicate that to the folks making these policies? Yeah, I think sustainability is one of those things where there's not one answer, right? You know, like like this is one avenue, right, to restrict the power of these displays, but that might not be the only way to solve the problem. There's different things we can do to make sure that, you know, like Don mentioned on the brightness. Yeah, that's for sure. You don't want to have them running at full brightness anyway. Um, but you can also make sure they're not being used when people aren't around to see them. You know, there's all, all kinds of controls and such that you can put in place to make sure that you know, you can be more sustainable and not be 
kind of wasting energy in situations where you don't need to. And then of course, there's all kinds of other things we can look at in terms of how the displays are built and with full carbon footprint and all that other stuff that goes along with, you know, the end goal, which is to, you know, be kinder to the planet. Um, but there's always many different avenues to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next coming to us, um, our, our friends over at, at level three, uh, audio visual, they recently achieved AV 9,000 compliance. Uh, this recognizes the company for its commitment to quality management. AV 9,000 is a set of standards developed by, uh, AQAV, uh, to ensure that audiovisual systems meet certain levels of quality and performance. Level three is one of a uh, very few companies, I believe four, to achieve AV9000 compliance, which reflects its dedication, quote unquote, dedication to delivering high quality systems and services to its clients. Uh, really quickly, uh, level three is a member of PSNI, CTI, my day job, also a member of, of PSNI. Uh, I, I think the folks there are, are, are pretty fantastic. Headquartered in, in Phoenix, but they've got offices, um, you know, a couple different places, including one out of New York, uh, and they do a lot of different work around the world. Um, Amelia, I'm going to ask you, uh, start with you on this. Um, this is a, a, it's not a new certification. Uh, AV9000 has been around for a while, but as the article points out, there's not a whole lot of, of companies that have, have gained this, right? So what other maybe standards or certifications or qualifications should integrators start looking at to say, hey, you know, we, you know, we, we do believe in quality. We do believe in processes. ISO 9000 is, is one that comes to mind, but there are others out there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think as, the, as we get more into, um, you know, an IT centric world, you know, we're already there basically, but there's all kinds of networking certifications that are very important to have, you know, different platform certifications. You know, I work a lot with uh, the, you know, software platforms on the UCC side. They all have various different certifications to ensure, you know, both the sales and the technical, the customer support, you know, the full stack of uh, essentials, if you will, to, you know, not just install or deploy, but plan for it, sell it correctly, all that other stuff that goes along with it. Um, and, and, you know, every, every certification is, is there to really ensure that there's like a minimum level of knowledge that exists. And I think that's the, that's the great part about it. You know, I've been on the other side as a manufacturer and, um, you know, we had certifications in place to make sure that it kind of defended our own you know, name on a product, right? Because if people were going out and installing it and didn't know what they were doing or didn't know how to deploy it or what have you, at the end of the day, the person who looked or the organization who looked bad was us because our name was on the box. And so I think, you know, I think kind of taking it back a step as you go before you get to, you know, manufacturer certification, industry certifications, these things are good because they ensure that, you know, the AV industry as a whole is doing things in a way that, you know, when you walk out, somebody, you know, doesn't remember the integrator sometimes, they remember like the room. It doesn't do what I wanted to do, or it does do, you know, it does meet the needs. It is a fantastic room. They don't remember the, the technology necessarily. They remember the experience. And that's the most important thing really to get to, to deliver a quality experience. So, you know, if you can raise the bar, great. That helps to make sure that the customers are happy. Um, that's where certifications, I think, have a really good play. I and mean, there's all kinds of them out there that are, you know, really beneficial for various different applications and use cases. I, I want to hit on something you you said there before we get with Don's take on this. Manufacturer certifications make sure that the the products are are installed correctly and they're supported correctly. 
as somebody who has argued uh, with, with certain manufacturers over the years about that very statement, I, want, I also want to take the other side, and I'm, I am going to argue both sides of this for a second, because you know what? It's a switcher, right? It, it's a video switcher, right? It, it, it's on the network. It takes the HDMI in, in one and out four ways. It's not that complicated. That was my attitude probably 15 years ago. Uh, as I was a tech manager, just give me the stupid gear and I can I can put it in myself and I can support it myself. However, as you said, there's an old friend of mine who used to work for a, another manufacturer. He said, no, what you just said, nobody's going to remember it. They're just going to say that brand X sucks because the entire room doesn't work, right? Talk for a second about, from a manufacturer standpoint, um, you know, how you get that across to not only your, your dealers, your integrators, but also to the, the end clients who maybe say, you know what, I want to use this dealer, but you're telling me that they, that they can't because they don't have the certification. Yeah, and there's different avenues in that, right? As, and every manufacturer, I feel like, is moving towards knowing their end customer better. You know, when I started in this industry, it was very much like the manufacturer was much more separated from the end user than they are today, where I feel like, yes, there's still channel involved very heavily, but there's more of a... Uh, you know, there's more of a relationship that kind of spans all that. So that's, you know, one avenue is really having, you know, making sure that they understand, you know, and a lot of times when I was on the manufacturer side and I would work directly with end users, they would ask like, hey, which, which integrators are ones that are, you know, certified and be able to do this. And, you know, that would ensure that, you know, there would be some level of expertise that would be there. Um, and I think the other avenue, of course, in many of these new construction projects, is you know getting the consultants to write that into the specifications that various certifications are necessary and yeah i mean that's the thing it's it's not just about um you know it's a switcher great but you know if the wrong switcher is specified for the application somebody feels like they ended up you know they paid too much for something that they didn't really need or if it's not deployed correctly or you know hey it was supposed to be on, go on the network and for some reason it didn't um because that particular person didn't have the expertise, then that's a problem. And I think the other hard part with the manufacturer is making sure the right people get those certifications. Because honestly, you know, it, certain people could take the certifications and check a box, but those people were never going to go out in the field. They were never going to design the system. They were never going to specify the product. Like the chances of that actually solving the end goal was very unlikely, you know? So that's the other thing that gets hard is about, you know, okay, you get a certification, but who, it's always about the people. It's the people who pass these tests and have the knowledge. How do you make sure those people are actually part of what you're doing in the right way? So here's what I heard Amelia say is, I don't have to get my certifications. That's what I heard, because I will never go. No, I mean, the, I, I'm, the thing I'm is, a hard time. it's a different certification, you know, yeah. and that's why you start to see, you know, manufacturers having a sales certification and a technical certification and a you know customer success certification. I mean, mm. these are all different pieces of it that are all important, especially as you get into software. Um, you know, it's it's more than just let's install it and walk away. It's an entire process. Yeah, absolutely. And and Tim, I heard Amelia say, I agree with everything Dawn's been preaching on this show for a while. So you go, girl. <laughs> well, that that's where we're going. Is is you, Dawn? You know, why why are the why do these certifications matter? When it comes to, and I want you to take it from two angles. First of all, wh where you sit now, as the as a specifier, as the the, the user of of this gear, why does it matter? 
but also talk for a second from an, the integrated side, which is where you used to live, some of the difficulties in getting some of these certifications. It's like you read my mind what I wanted to talk about exactly. Uh, I'm going to start with the old days. When I was an integrator, as you know, I only ever worked for a small company. I think the biggest integrator I ever worked for, uh, mom and pop, was about 20 people at its biggest ever. So on the one hand, we knew we did quality work. We had a very small core and we made sure they were trained. But it was sometimes like pulling teeth to find the budget and the time to send the engineer, to send the techs off to get the training. And a lot of times the boss, one of the bosses, I worked for several companies that size, would be like, well, why am I paying all this money and sending them and losing this productivity when they're just going to get their certification and then leave here for someone bigger that can maybe afford to pay a little more than I can? It's like, well, first of all, you know, work something in their contract that if I send you for training, you have to be here for X amount you know, or pay me back, but you're only improving your chances of getting jobs when you go through that process, when you educate your team, when you have skilled workers doing good work. It's, you know, basic math there. Good work means more business. Um, so I, I know the struggle from the small integrator end. I also, Amelia, you're hundred percent right. It depends on the person. And from the big integrator standpoint, the multi-sites, multi-buildings, multi-places on the planet type integrators, you might your company might be certified. But are the people in city A where I have a project going on certified? And will those certified people be working on my project? And you never know that. Uh, you know, the, the large integrators, the top five, top 10, even the whole top 50 list that SCM puts out every year, they ride and die on their local branches. And I have both seen on the end when I was a integrator and as an end user companies that got a black eye in an entire region because they happen to have one crap location. And you can't always guarantee that your every single location when you're looking somewhere new is a good one. So, you know, when I was an integrator, we took advantage of that. We're like, well, we fix their stuff a lot. Hire us. Um, <laughs> now, now that I'm an end user, I can't afford to take that chance. You know, I, yeah. I know everybody in my region. I know the mom and pops. I know the big guys. I know which big guys have good branches and bad branches around here and so forth. So if I'm doing a project in my region, easy peasy, not a problem. I can call up old buddies, old frenemies from my days as an integrator, and I know they'll do great work. But now I'm in charge of projects all over the U.S. and all over the planet. I don't know who's a good integrator It near this particular base in this particular desert in this particular place or part of the country or part of the world i have no idea so i don't know if the mom and pop's great i don't know if the big guy nearby is good or not if they're certified so standards are one way that we can at least get a shorthand it's like women in av put a string of letters behind your name as shorthand that you're not just the booth babe and you know what you're talking about same thing with company certifications and individual certifications. It's shorthand to those of us that are specifiers and buyers that you and your company take the work seriously and know what you're doing. And, you know, I, I, that, that's literally the first thing I did when I started where I am now and started writing and designing the specs. Cause I'm my role, Amelia is basically, I'm the internal consultant and project manager for all of our AV projects. So first thing I did was I said, okay, all of your bidders have to be, you know, have C at minimum CTS on staff, preferred CTSD and CTSI on staff. 
must be an authorized dealer or reseller for whatever products are being used. Preference given to those with the certifications, you know, for that manufacturer. In some cases, if it's like a DSP or a programming, you must have a certified programmer or DSP person on staff for this project. You know, and same thing. I list AQ9000 as one of the standards that preference is given for. We prefer this. But even if you don't have it, and I know the guys don't like me here and say you can get jobs with us without having it. But even if you don't have it, we require you to be familiar with it and do your commissioning and your, your building mm. in accordance with it. And I say, and also relevant BICSEs, uh, CompTIA, um, you know, standards, uh, all the various standards that relate to our industry, cabling standards, um, local regulations and laws, you know, all of these things we spell out right in our statement of work in our bid documents now. So that if there's a problem, if we find out we got the bum location of the great big integrator or a mom and pop that just really shouldn't be playing in that space, we have a venue to say, okay, look, it was right here. When you bid, you're agreeing to all this. So fix it or pay for us to get, pay someone to fix it. You know, so it gives the company some, some, A, a step towards the right direction of getting good quality work wherever, but B, it also gives us an avenue for recourse if that work turns out not to be so quality. Yeah. So standards, good. Standards and standards in, in your contracts are good. And well-written contracts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that, that we celebrated this week International Women's Day. Uh, recently, uh, we at Aviation wrote uh, an article about the power of mentorship in AV that highlights the importance of mentorship in the audiovisual industry emphasizes how mentorship can benefit both the mentor and the mentee, helping to foster personal and professional growth. Uh, it was 100% taking off of our, our first uh, episode of our brand new iteration of Women in AV uh, with Jennifer Goodyear and uh, Erica Carroll. Dawn, I'm going to start with you on this. Where, where, what areas do we need the most mentorship in, in the industry? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> young people in our industry need to be mentored. We need mentorship for women coming into any STEM field, not just our industry. We need mentorship for people of color, for neurodiverse. I mean, just ba basically any group, even, you know, young white males, they need mentors too. <laughs> in case you're listening or watching and saying, what about us? Yeah, we all need mentors. And it, my thing is I've never had a formal mentor. Never had a formal written mentorship statement, anything like that. So don't feel like you have to establish something written and formal and structured in order to have mentorships. And don't feel like you have to seek out something like that to learn. Some of my greatest mentors in my industry have just been people that I've met at marketing events, networking events, Infocom, you know, folks that I've run into as, as, as frenemies or competimates, you know, over the years that were inspiring that showed me how to do what we do. And, you know, the, the, I have a long list, male and female, various ages of mentors and, and heroes and sheroes of, you know, people that I admire in the industry. For a while there with my career, uh, you know, I would always think WWCD, what would Corey do? And if, you, yeah. if you've been in AV more than five minutes, you know who Corey Schaefer is. Um, there's, there's a few <laughs> other folks, you know, what would, what would, what would Tim do if we're talking about, you know, talking some of the marketing things and, and, and media things, you know, I, I've just got this long list of people that I don't even necessarily use the word mentor, 
but friend. And these friends and colleagues helped my career blossom. And hopefully I'm doing the same for other folks. I try to, at the company I, I work now, they have a very strict formal mentorship program, but they also encourage, you know, non-formal programs. And I always try to grab the little interns when they come in, all the little 12-year-old looking kids and say, okay, you know, your rotation, you're going to be working with the AV team, but let me tell you how cool AV is. And I befriend them and I show all these little programmers and IT guys that, and gals that come into our company that, hey, there's this whole other industry and we desperately need people and you have the skill set, you could do it, you know, and they rotate through their internship and then go to the next placement and the next placement. And some of them come back to AV and some of them love it. So hopefully I can be an informal mentor that way. But yeah, my short version is yes, we all need mentors. And if you've been in the industry 50 years and are, you know, the seasoned veteran, I bet you need a mentor too. But it's just in a different way. You're learning from the people who are being inspired by you some of the newer technologies or some of the new slang or the new ways of doing business. If you're very much a suit, tie, office, you know, kind of person, they can help you with the work-life balance or with the hybrid workplace. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to be a mentor. And I think that's the biggest thing. People need to open their minds and realize we learn from those around us in business and not in business. That's a really, really good point. Absolutely. Uh, Amelia, same kind of question is, 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 you know, where, where do we need it and how do we do it? Yeah, I, I fully agree with Dawn. We need it everywhere, right? Because I think the, the key with especially like diversity and mentorship is, you know, I think we still have a long way for a lot of women to go or for women to go in this industry. I mean, we all know that we're very underrepresented. And so if I'm a young woman coming into the industry, I need to see Dawn in her role. I need to know that that's somebody that looks like me. That could be me. I could be that person in however many years, right? And I think people need to see people that they relate to. And whether that's, you know, women or minorities or, or what have you, um, that's really important because if, if all I see are a bunch of people that don't look like me, you don't seem like me, they didn't come from the same background as me, it seems a lot harder to get to where I'm at, where I'm trying to go. Um, if I don't perceive those people in some way as having at least some level of starting that is similar to me and where I'm at. Um, but I, I, I've also never had a formal uh, mentor in this industry, but I will say I, you know, I was in another industry before AV, um, even though I always joke with people, I was born AV with my initials, but, you know, I was always going to get here apparently at some point, but, you know, I was in another in industry before AV where I was also in a program, like I think Dawn is kind of mentioning where it was a rot rotational program. And we went to, it was a much larger, you know, organization. We went to different parts of the organization and we were really taught, trained to, you know, spend a few months here. We learned from these people, how to, you know, find those people, ask them questions. And of course, it was a formal program. So they expected us to do all those things. And so, you know, that does help, I think, a young person in their career feel a little more comfortable, you know, going out and seeing what they can learn and what they can know. Um, you know, if I just came to AV Fresh and I didn't have that experience, you know, maybe I would have not realized that um, so early on. But I kind of done the same thing, you know, just, you know, what what kinds of people out there inspire me and why? And then, you know, think about those people and get to know them. And I, I try to do the same for other people, too, you know, knowing that there's people now, you know, coming into the industry that are 20, 25 years younger than me and they don't always feel as comfortable talking or having their voice heard, but you just maybe need a little bit of encouragement 
And they have a lot to offer because they're from a totally dem different demographic. You know, we have a lot to learn from them. I mean, I, I don't know that demographic as well as they do because they're in it. But yet, those are the types of people who, you know, we're going to be selling to, we're going to be, you know, developing systems for. We need to know their, 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 their mindset and how they, how they approach things. And we can learn a lot from, you know, all different generations. And I think, yeah, the key is really where can we look to other people and then where can we sort of lift up other people and it kind of be a continual uh, process of doing that. So, yeah, Amelia, to that point, uh, you know, you always at this time of year, especially, but you always read these stories about, you know, mansplaining and how women are, you know, running into problems at work. And your example there just reminded me of something I read that uh, in the advertising space, you know, it was a room full of older white men advertisers, the, the Don Drapers. And there was one woman working in the room who was a millennial woman. And the whole topic was how to market to millennial women for this one particular product. And she kept saying, hey, I'm a millennial woman. This is what we want. And she kept being dismissed <laughs> and dismissed. And they went with their idea and it was an utter failure. And she's like, what do we have to do? You know, I don't want to come off as male bashing because I am totally not. I, I've said this repeatedly on AV Week and AV Nation over the years. Of the STEM industries, the audiovisual industry is absolutely the most welcoming of women. And I, I mean, I can't speak to it, but I've heard in some cases minorities or neurodiverse people than the other STEM fields. You know, we're really great about helping women out. A lot of the mentors on my list, I mentioned Corey, but a lot of them are men because, you know, the men welcome us in. The, the men, you know, for a while there, they were the only ones around. They had to be our mentors. But now that there are women, now that there are other groups coming into the industry, yes, representation is huge. But don't rule out having a mentor or a mentee that doesn't look or sound or have the same gender as you. Because that can be just as eye-opening and mind-blowing. And sometimes more, witness though, at marketing people, you know, um, than, than just having another female mentor, another guy mentor, another you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant mentor, whatever it happens to be, you know, check your boxes. But um, yeah, definitely we can learn in both directions and we can learn from those the same as us as well as different, but we do need to make sure we have representation. And I think mentorship programs are like formal mentorship programs are great, but they also sort of are, can be somewhat forced, right? Where, you know, maybe that's not the person I'm going to necessarily feel most connected with to learn from. I mean, it, it, it at least shows you something, but hopefully it helps those people get more comfortable and like thinking, where else can I look for a mentorship? Because you're never really, you know, you're never going to have like a one-on-one. -on -one. You're going to be my mentor for the rest of my life. You know, we're not getting married here. Like this is, this is something where as you maybe come into a company, somebody can be there to kind of answer the hard questions. Like you don't want to go to your manager on that, but they can kind of help guide you through. But then hopefully what it does is it lets those people feel more comfortable you know, looking for other avenues or looking outside, you know, just to kind of feel more comfortable to go where they need to go or have their voices heard. And, and I, I agree, this industry is very welcoming, but you also have to put yourself out there a little bit because, you know, if people don't know you're there, they're not going to be able to welcome you. So, um, you know, it's a little bit of, a little bit of both there. And, and one other thing you just said that spurred something in my brain, you know, even if you're matched in a formal mentorship program with someone that you just don't want to be mentee or mentor with for the future, don't discount that entire experience because 
by persevering through that, A, you learn valuable coping skills and valuable communication skills in, you know, button heads with somebody. But more importantly, you're meeting the people in their circle. And sometimes it's the people you meet through someone else that become the most valuable person. I mean, it didn't last more than 20 years, but that's how I met my ex-husband, you know, through somebody else. And I, you know, I was dating somebody else, but you never know, like connections, it's true of dating and it's true of mentorships. It's true of career work. You know, even if you're miserable with someone, still remain open, still remain professional and look around and you might find that amazing, perfect person in that person's orbit. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Thank you both so much. Dawn Mead, uh, how do people connect with you? You can't reach me at work, but you can always find me on all the socials, either Dawn Mead, M-E-A-D-E, just like the Fort and the General, or at A-V Dawn on the Twitters and the Instas and all those things the kids have. And you can always find me here just as often as Tim will let me on avnation.tv on AV Week. Absolutely. Uh, Amelia, thank you so much, ma'am. Um, how do people connect with you or uh, AVISPL? Um, yeah, I mean, you can find me at uh, amelia.brable at avispl.com or on LinkedIn. Um, I'm fairly sure I'm the only Amelia Brable, so that should be pretty easy. And I'm also on Twitter, Amelia262, if you want to find me there. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I love connecting with people. I think we've got a lot of great people in this industry. And so it's just been the reason I've stayed in it all these years, because it's just really a great place to be. So. And, and Amelia is my unofficial running coach. So I just want to. Play so <laughs> well, she, I she sure am not. <laughs> she, she, well, <laughs> anyhow, uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters. Uh, go by the website if you would, please. Avionation.tv. That's avionation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, I mentioned the, the brand new uh, redesigned Women of AV uh, podcast. You can check that out. I believe they have a new one coming out soon. Um, and also look for State of Control, EdTech, and uh, XR Star, and more. So all that and more at uh, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Mm-hmm.